0: sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We will strive for bipartisanship. We believe that we have a responsibility to seek common
1: ground where we can. There are many things we can get along on without a lot
2: of trouble that we agree very much with them and they agree with us. I would like
3: to see bipartisanship. I'd like to see Unity.
1: Everywhere you go, from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine, all you see in cities, cranes, buildings, you know, factories, warehouses, apartment buildings, condos, it's the biggest construction boom in the United States history right now. Uh, And so Republicans haven't done a great job of selling and connecting the dots from this is our policies that have created this uh, incredible boom. America is a nation of believers and together we are strengthened by the power of prayer.
3: I'm going to ask us all to rise up and let us pray. As never
4: before, our nation needs prayer.
0: And now, Stacey Washington.
4: Oh yeah, welcome. Welcome into the program. Yeah, Happy Thursday to you. <laughs> it is Thursday, isn't it? It's been such a momentous week, again, that uh, we're probably counting the days, thinking, how much more? What else? Who else? How much more can happen? Well, I think quite a lot. Um, this is our new normal. This uh, It's it's more than 24 hours worth of news in one 24-hour period. And um, all we can do is kind of, you know, buck up a little bit and be prepared to not just absorb, but to properly process what is going on, what's coming at us. And so today is no different. We have a jam-packed program for you. This hour, we're going to be speaking with Stephen Moore. He's the author of the new book, Trumponomics. And uh, it's, it's a deep dive into the economic prospects of America's economy. And what, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the book and we're going to talk about his new article that he has up, uh, Why the Left Hates Prosperity, Liberals Are Angry Because They Were Sure Trump Would Fail. And I want to offer some insight during the interview with Mr. Moore. It's actually going to be my pleasure to interview his co-author, Art Laffer for a documentary we're working on about taxes here in the state of Missouri. I'm going to be interviewing him on Monday in Nashville at his offices. And so it's going to be a pleasure to speak to Stephen Moore um, about his, about their new book. But it's also an interesting kind of uh, look because I, I spent some time, as I mentioned on that panel with a group of women who are Democrats and listening to their concerns and then considering how the Republicans talk about the economy and economic prosperity and how, we're so concerned about taxes because we pay them, and most Democrats are not concerned about taxes because they don't pay very much in taxes. There's a strange new uh, like bilateral world that's forming in America where half of the country has absolutely no interest in what the other half of the country has interest in because one half of the country is paying for the other half to exist, and that half that's getting everything paid for is only asking for more. They're asking for more things, more help. So... We're going to see how that cracks up with him today. And then we're also going to discuss um, this. This I want to take you back down memory lane. You may remember President Obama. Remember when he was our president? You know, uh, he had a press corps as well. And they treated him a little differently than the current press corps treats the current president, Donald Trump. I want to play some audio for you so you can listen to the difference in the reaction to someone acosta President Obama. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. First, our daily confession. So excited to share this with you. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work and you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, why is that today's daily confession? Well, yeah, you know what? I'll tell you why. Because what we're seeing right now Um, is is a lot of people are losing faith. They're losing hope. A lot of people who maybe they went to church, maybe they believed they were very, very uh, focused on their Christian walk, they haven't gotten what they wanted from God or they haven't seen their prayers answered in the way that they felt they should be answered. And there's a bit of turning away. We have to have faith that even in the face of our most difficult circumstances, he who has begun a good work in us will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ's return. And it's that knowledge and belief and faith that helps us to hold on during difficult times. Some of the difficult times, they're, they're the kind of things that we see going on right now uh, in California with the shooting where one moment you're, you know, enjoying an evening out with friends. And the next moment, people are dead around you or or some, you lost someone dear to you. Other times, it's much uh, more along the lines of everyday life circumstances, working with people that hate you or don't like you, or, or maybe you hate, uh, you know, working in a in a job that isn't paying enough and isn't meet, meeting ends and you're not able to do everything that you need to do. Or maybe it's watching someone else get the promotion you felt belonged to you. It's any circumstance in which you're questioning, what am I doing? We have to have faith. The Bible says... um. That God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him, and in order to walk in faith, we have to believe that he is we we cannot be double minded in that aspect so philippians one six being confident in this that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, that is the bedrock truth we can hold on to it, we can meditate on that scripture, and we can know that it 's true, and then we can ask God to show us show me show me i'm i 'm I'm a a human being with a frail memory and God knows how we feel because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, show me where you've answered my prayers and what I can look forward to. And he will show you. He will open your eyes to answered prayer and you'll be astounded at all of the work he's already done. And that will bolster you and help you to walk through these difficult times. So now I want to, you know, we got to go, go down memory lane. And I love these because we forget how things were. It's been busy. We've we've had other things occupying our memory banks. And so our you know short term memory takes up the, the majority of the work and the, the long term memory storage. It just kind of, you know, things just recede into into the, the yesteryear. And so you might not remember the way the press corps was with then rock star President Obama, Mr. Drop the Mic. You know, Barack Hussein Obama, Mr. Everybody's, you know, super cool savior, pastor, best friend, Al Green impersonator. You know, he was our bro. He was cool. He was down for the cause. He was every foreign leader's friend. He could bow and scrape to the best of them. He was the man. Remember? Okay, perhaps you didn't see him that way. (laughs) No matter. The media did. And so here they are. They're at a press conference in the East Room. This is in the White House, the Yellow Room. The big open space where they often gather the reporters if there's going to be kind of a special speech or something. And President Obama's talking about who knows who cares what. And there's a reporter in there who's really upset about the deportations. Now, remember, this was a farce because the president didn't deport more people than anybody else. He wasn't the deporter in chief. He was turning people around at the border, and then he was doing catch and release. He called the catch and release and the turnarounds deportations. Not actual, hey, you're in the country illegally. You've been ordered to be deported 10 years ago. We're going to get you out of here. Not those kind of deportations, made-up deportations. So Obama had put that out about himself because it gave him cover because then Democrats could say, well, what do you want? He's already the deporter-in-chief while he wasn't deporting anybody. And you can look across the country at the election results from the midterm just a couple of days ago. And see how states that used to be reliably Republican states like California and Nevada are now Democratic strongholds. Nevada just went all the way Democrat from the local level all the way up the ticket. Why? Because they have an outsized number of illegal aliens living there. They have a lot of immigration immigrants living there and those immigrants are they're not assimilating properly and they are voting for the same kind of stuff that they voted for in their failed third world sending countries. Donald Trump wasn't lying when he said they're not sending their best. Oh, no, I I feel you getting triggered. A sweat has broken out on your brow. Don't talk to me about your personal problems. I'm telling the truth. And if you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine. So here we are. We've got Obama in the East Wing. He's looking cool. And every single reporter in the room, they're not seated. They're standing up with their cell phones up like they're at a Beyonce and Jay-Z concert. This Person begins to just erupt. He can't control himself. He's angry. He's angry about LGBT and he's angry about um, deportations. He will not stop talking. Now, who does that sound like to you? Sounds like Jim Acosta. The whole I'm going to ask you question after question after question after question. I'm not going to ask one or two questions. I'm going to ask keep asking you. I'm going to badger you until I provoke you into something so I can then say, look, he never answers questions. That's Jim Acosta. And it was this guy, too. Only we don't know who this guy was because the media wasn't going to tell us who this guy was. They weren't going to highlight who he was. They just wanted to see Barack Obama smack him down so they could chant his name. Here it is. It's number one.
3: I told you that the civil rights of LGBT Americans is. Yeah. Uh, hold on a 2nd Okay, you know what? No, 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 Hey. Yeah, l- l- listen, you're in my house. You don't know. It's not, you know what? It's not, it's not respectful when you get invited to somebody. You're not you're not you're not gonna you're not you're you're not gonna get a good response from me by interrupting me like this. They, they, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. No. No No. Shame on you. You shouldn't be doing this. Now, Come on. You, you, can, you can either stay and, and be quiet or we'll have to t- take you out. All right. Can we have this person removed, please? Come on. Come on. Come on. No. no. Come on. wait till we get this done
4: so the press corps mocked the guy who seemed to be having diarrhea of the mouth and just couldn't shut up and he was making a spectacle of himself and they mocked him they mocked him because how dare this man come into obama's house never mind that he was standing in the white house which is our house the white house belongs to the people of the united states citizens not illegal immigrants, by the way. Yes, I made that distinction. So what? You know, I'm, I'm really ready for people who are siding with illegal immigrants over our veterans and over our own homeless population, over our own American citizens who are mentally ill and homeless, over our own 450,000 orphans, most of whom are pe- children of color. I'm really tired of those people trying to lecture me on how I talk. Why don't you figure out whether or not you really love this country or whether you belong in Guatemala? Because all the rest of us tax-paying citizens would certainly love to see all of these liberals who love Guatemalans and Hondurans more than they love Americans carry your little liberal limousine-riding selves with your cell phones and your Uber Eats app. Take yourself on down to Guatemala or Honduras and live down there with the people that you love and leave America to those of us who love it and are paying for it. That's how I feel about that. And so you've got this, It's it's like, an amazing thing to listen to. These are the same people, mind you. Not there's been some turnover. It's not an identical group, but it's the same organizations. It's the same CNN, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, all of them. It's the same organizations. They're same reporters. Some of these reporters, like April Ryan and Jim Acosta, they've been there for years, years and years and years. And they were in that space, chanting Obama's name like they were at a campaign rally, only they were in the East Room of the White House and they were there to cover him, not praise him and worship him and lick his shoes. But that's what they were doing. One person pipes up and loses their mind and they mock that person. They treated that person the same way you would treat someone who was disrupting a concert you were attending. You would boo and you would want the the police to take them out. And that's what President Obama did. He actually gestured to the Secret Service, but they didn't respond immediately. Then he actually said, let's get him out of here. And he moved his hand across again. Like, you know, now get him out of here. And they made their way over and began to extract this person from the room, which caused him to escalate and then caused the press corps to mock him. So I look, I had nothing against the White House press corps. As an entity, as a group of people individually, I know a few of the people who work in the White House press corps. So it's not this isn't a personal thing. It's how do you how do you reconcile listening to that and their treatment of Obama like he was literally their God? And then you look at the way they treat Donald Trump, who is the commander in chief and he and Sarah Huckabee Sanders are due the respect held by their offices. I don't care if you think they're lying. They still hold those spots. And this is America and they should be treated with respect. We don't need you to chant Trump, but we do need you to treat him with respect. And that's why Acosta got his hard pass yanked. We'll be back with Stephen Moore right after this.
3: Maybe you've
2: been hearing the messages from Preborn, asking listeners to join together to help save babies' lives through ultrasound, and you're not sure how to respond. Here's the story of one woman
0: who took that step.
2: I heard about Mission Preborn just before December of last year and asked my husband if we could give at least 140 Just last week, we received our packet. My husband came in the house and... He was telling me, this is our pre-born packet, the ultrasounds. I started crying without even seeing them. Not only were there five babies, but one of the moms was having twins. We were just elated for that. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies' lives that were spared. All gifts are tax-deductible, and 100% of your sponsorship goes to saving babies to donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com.
0: Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. During Saddam Hussein's reign of terror in Iraq, he made oppression an art form. Power and absolute control were his gods. The people existed for his pleasure and to fulfill his every whim. Anyone who didn't play homage was a target for torture and more often than not, death. He killed thousands of his own people. The people of Iraq were powerless without an advocate or recourse. It's no better these days for those under the control of ISIS. Now, Saddam Hussein and ISIS are extreme examples, but all of us need to be aware of the intoxication of power and control. Power is a drug, and there are very few people who can handle power responsibly. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, we find some compelling insights on oppression. Listen to these words. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power. Three quick lessons. First of all, oppressed people need compassion. They need to understand that there's somebody who cares about them. That we're not just saying, as long as it's not happening to me, it's too bad for them. But it's not coming my way. Secondly, oppressed people need an advocate. They need someone to speak up for them. And thirdly, oppressors need to be held accountable. People who oppress others need to know it's not okay and you're not going to get away with it. You will be held accountable. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. God hates injustice and oppression and he will fight for the oppressed. Let's make sure we're on the right side.
1: You've been listening to Legacy Moment with Crawford Lorenz, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org.
0: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Welcome back to the program. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Those are the websites you can find the podcast and more about what we're doing here on behalf of uh, Christian Radio and Ministry and our Christian worldview. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. It's Stephen Moore. He's the author of Trumponomics. He wrote this book with Art Laffer, and I'm so excited to speak with him. Stephen, thank you for joining the show.
2: I am excited to be with you too. Thank you very much for having
4: well, me. I'm super excited for two reasons. First of all, I believe I name checked you in a uh, op-ed <laughs> in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch about a year ago,
1: <laughs> maybe a year <laughs> and a
4: half ago, talking about the economy and taxes and things like that. And then I'm actually going to be in Nashville on Monday interviewing Art Laffer for a project that we're doing here in Missouri on on Missouri's tax cut. So I'm well, really excited Art about this. Is,
2: uh, godfather of supply-side economics is probably the most important economist of the last uh, 30, 40 years in terms of having a big impact on the Reagan tax cuts. And, of course, uh, he and I worked together with uh, Larry Kudlow on the uh, on the Trump tax cut, helping uh, design it and, and getting it an, enacted an for Donald Trump. And, you know, that's what Trumponomics is really all about, about our uh, our voyage with Donald Trump to get this amazing economic expansion, and this is the biggest boom we've seen in 30 years, It's nobody thought it was possible except for Donald Trump, and he's a true believer in this stuff, and he has so resurrected our economy. It's just a wonderful thing to see, and it didn't happen by accident, folks. It happened because Donald Trump has the right vision. He's a businessman. He understands how to, how to make an economy grow, and so I'm, I was so proud to work with him on this, and we tell the whole story in our book, Trump and I, and it's a it's a fun story, and it it's a it has a happy ending
4: <laughs> I love that I love that and and let's be clear here. we're talking about a monumental task, which was you know about a year ago. you have the president. And you and, and, and Mr. Kudlow, every all of these really smart people, but mm-hmm. you're not exactly, you know, rock stars in the sense that pe- you're not household names. You'll come together with the president and his team and you start talking about what we can do to rev up the economic engine of the United States and remove some of the government. It's like harnesses that keep businesses mm-hmm. from being able to do what they want. And what what you're talking about in your book is growth, 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 which a lot of yeah. people on the left discount. That, Stephen, tell us why it's so important. Why is growth such a huge goal for the Trump administration?
2: Well, it feels better, right, when we're when we're growing than when we're uh, slowing and receding and going into recession. And so, obviously, you know, there's an old saying by John F. Kennedy that Reagan used to repeat, and now uh, talks about it, which is that a rising tide lifts all boats. So. And you have a, a tide of growth that makes everyone better off, or at least it should. And, you know, I'm really honored to, you know, uh, by the way, there, we have so many great stories about Donald Trump and about people who have a lot of fun reading. He's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. He's inexhaustible, by the way. I mean, I've never seen anybody who has more energy than Donald Trump. And, you know, I'm, I'm 15 years younger than he is, and I can't keep up with the man. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty amazing. And, uh, and so it's just... Uh, there's something about him. He's a can do guy, you know. Liberals always talk about oh, we can't this isn't gonna work and that you know, but liberals are pessimistic. We as conservatives are optimistic about the country. We you know, they they're down on America. We're up on America. We think America is a great, great place and they see a country of racism and sexism and xenophobia and we see a country that is accepting of people and wants everyone a land of opportunity. And that's where Trump is. You know, he loves people. He loves the American people. He loves being around people. He, he, you know, you can tell a lot about a man by how he treats the people who work for him. And mm-hmm. I noticed it from the first time I met him uh, two and a half years ago, that the people around him loved him and he treated them so well. And he's the kind of guy who, who you know, will talk to the guy on the elevator or talk to the janitor in the bathroom. And, you know, he, he doesn't have to put on airs. He loves people and he cares about people. And, Showers with his policies, this wasn't about helping rich people. You know, as we say in the book, this wasn't about the rich, this was about working class Americans who hadn't seen a pay raise in 15 years. And by the way, did you see the news that wages are now rising for the first time in 20 years?
4: We were told that couldn't happen, by the way. Stephen, remember, yeah, we, we were, were told wages it's, couldn't go up.
2: About Donald Trump, I mean, he, <laughs> he proves all his critics wrong. So when people say Donald Trump can't do this or he can't do that, you know, remember, they said he couldn't win. Remember that?
4: Yeah, yeah. He okay, so
2: possibly when he's going to get creamed, it's going to be some people put the odds at 99 to 1 that he was going to win the election. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, that some people said on, on Fox News and on Sunday, his chance of, of of winning are zero. And he said he couldn't bring manufacturing back. And they said, you know, how is he going to divide the economy with a magic wand? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe he's got that magic wand to the economy as a ward that fight.
4: Well, I, I think. Sometimes we can tell whether or not something is accurate just by kind of listening to what people say. When I hear, uh, you know, the Commander in Chief of the United States saying, "Hey, he'll he'll how's he going to do that? He needs a magic wand." It sounds to me like kind of hyperbole, you know, the kind of stuff you hear on playgrounds and middle school yeah. schoolyards. Not not the the words of someone who's really confident in what they're saying. So I'm I'm really interested in. It's kind of a phenomenon. You mentioned it. And, and I want to go into it because it's important if if a person finds themselves in a situation where economically they're very pessimistic, the first step towards changing your economic direction is changing your attitude about your economic prospects, which is you you said Republicans see things very positively. Even in a downturn, there are places where you can make an enormous amount of money when the economy is down. And you can also make money when the economy is up, but it depends on your attitude. Can you talk about that?
2: Well, a lot of uh, liberals believe that kind of limit the growth. And by the way, a lot of liberals don't even want our economy to grow. I mean, the, the radical environmentalists bar- want to stop growth. That's why they want to stop our energy production. They they want to put the oil and gas and coal industry out of business. Wait a minute, that's several million workers that work in the oil and gas and coal business. And why would you want to you know destroy their jobs and by the way you know when you go to remember hillary went to a place like pennsylvania and west virginia and said we're going to put all the coal miners out of business and then she wonders why she didn't win those things <laughs> because people want opportunity they don't want government to come in and destroy their jobs and so uh you know growth is so important because it means you know it lowers our debt it lowers our deficit it makes it easier to get people out of poverty it makes it gets people off of welfare into work and all of those things are so critical, not just for the overall economy, but for improving people's lives. You know, if you look at the consumer confidence numbers today, you know, record high. People are optimistic. People have a new, you know, bounce in their step right now because they feel so good about the direction of the country.
4: I feel good about it, and and I can I tell you if, for for personal nine, like I can't believe it. I saw the president the other day, and
2: I just said, "Mr. President, this is working better than." You know, even I thought it would, and he smiled, and he said, it is working, isn't it? And he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. So, you know, it, it, it's his positivity that I think is, connects with voters. And, and and people know, look, Donald Trump is authentic. Sometimes I roll my eyes when he says some of the things he says, and I'm like, oh, Donald, like, well, I used to call him Donald Donald, call him Mr. President, don't say that. You know, But you got to watch what this guy does, and you've got to look at his results. You know, liberals love to talk about what he says, but they don't want to talk about his results. Have you noticed that?
4: I, I have. Uh, and, and I think the reason is because it doesn't it doesn't comport with what they said. Remember, the only predictions that they made were negative. They said if he became president, the economy would tank, that he would take us yep. to war with a number of countries, that that we'd suddenly yep. become an you know annexation of, of, of Russia like Crimea. They said a lot of things that were outrageous. and And what we've had is exactly the opposite. And so when you're exactly. when you talk about President Trump, like he has this, he's indefatigable, you know, he, he, he doesn't tire out. He doesn't sleep a lot. He doesn't drink. He has a, a habit of tweeting early in the morning and driving people insane before they even get out of bed. But there's, there's a method to the madness and I've seen it with the trade. If you really read up on what he's doing, cause you can't get it in the media, He's actually moving the parts around the board and rearranging them in a way that benefits Americans. And we hear a lot of pushback on that, Stephen. He says he's a nationalist as opposed to a globalist. People are trying to make that about race. But I see that statement as a declarative it's a, it's basically a directional shift for us saying deals that benefit our country those will be coming those will come in we'll do those deals deals that benefit other countries before us we won't do those because we're going to put American interests first why is that so oh, hard yeah, for people to understand I couldn't agree
2: more I mean I couldn't agree more I think it's um, you know his his um, high energy is is so evident when he's giving speeches when he, and just in terms of his view of the world he. As I said, he's a can do guy. He doesn't take no for an answer. He doesn't take failure. If you fail, you're out. You know what's, remember what he you say you're fired. He, you know, that's what a businessman or woman does. You know, they, they are results oriented. He's working for the American people. Uh, and and he views it as that. He says, I'm the CEO of the American economy now. I've got to make sure it's growing. I've got to make sure it's good for everybody. Whether it's, and by the way, I'm so sick of that on CNN and these other stations. Because they say, oh, he's a racist. He's a Jew hater. He doesn't like Hispanics. No, he, you know, we got the lowest black and Hispanic unemployment rate in 50 years. You know, how can you call him a racist when his policies are working so well for the minorities in this country?
4: Well, you can't. Not not if you're going to be honest. And I think the other yeah. thing that really enrages them about that is that he has close relationships with blacks who are Republicans. So there's, there's proof that he not only has people in his life of color that are, are really, they're, they're a part of his inner orbit, but there's also proof that... So Barack Obama didn't have this kind of success in lowering black unemployment, and he was the first black president, and the expectations Mm -hmm. were that he would benefit minority communities as well as white communities, in other words, all Americans, but specifically minority communities. He wasn't able to do that. President Trump has increased his share of black voters who approve of his work. It's not a ton, but it's significant, and he's also improved the lives of black Americans and, as you said, Hispanics which I think is much more impactful than just having someone who's cool, who knows how to drop a mic and slow jam the news. I'd rather have the jobs and the economic prosperity myself.
2: Well, that's exactly right. You know, that's exactly right. And, you know, you look at the results now. I mean, they're so phenomenal. We go through them. You know, the last chapter of our book about Economics," is called A Light Switch is Flipped from Off to On. And that came from a, a guy who runs a, uh, runs a little auto mechanic uh, repair shop and uh, outside of cleveland and I, I like to ask you know businessmen and women how, how's business how how are things are people coming into the store or they come into the shops or how are the orders and uh, i'll never forget what jimmy said to me you know he's got about 15 employees and i said hey jimmy how's how's business this is about 9 months ago and he said steve it's like a re- light switch was flicked from off to on on election day 2016 he said ever since then i've had more business than i can possibly handle and that you tell that story over and over. I mean, it's not just Jimmy who runs a little lot of a repair shop. It's happening everywhere. Businesses are expanding. They're hiring more workers. They're making money. Uh, you know, more people are starting businesses because they see more opportunities. And by the way, the 27 million people in this country who start businesses, people like uh, Donald Trump, they're the backbone of our economy. And what bothers me is so many of Trump's critics, you know, they say they hate the rich and, you know, uh, the rich are making all the money. You know, our tax cut was to help middle-class people, but we understood you've got to have healthy businesses if you're going to have healthy jobs. You know, there is, my old Boston economy used to say, you know, liberals love jobs, but they hate employers. You know, you can't have one without the other. And so that's the secret sauce of Donald Trump. He is pro-business. He is pro-growth. He puts America first. And by the way, putting America first, a nationalist means he puts the country and our businesses and workers first. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. It's absurd to say that that's racist. I'm a nationalist myself. I'm not a racist. I want everybody to do better.
4: I'm one, too. And I'm black. So I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping yeah, yeah, that so somewhere that, you know, unicorns like, are exploding. So
2: explain <laughs> to me, how is being how is a nationalist racist? I don't even understand the logic.
4: Well, there is no logic to it. But if you're going <laughs> to smear someone, you don't need logic. You just need to have a mouth yeah, that works right. and just say whatever you want. I, I want to well, highlight. Know, the
2: other night I was on CNN, and they said uh, he's a anti-Semite. Uh, I said, anti Semite, a how, how, I anti-Semite? Mean, his, his daughter and his son-in-law are Jewish. Bringing, they're bringing up the, their, his grandchildren as Jewish. How, how could he possibly be a anti-Semitic?
4: Yeah, and all of his accountants and and uh, tax people and, and all of his attorneys for the, for the most part are are Jewish. It's, it's really it's right. ridiculous, and we know it's false. It, you know, um, but the left is different from you and me. They're not constrained by the truth. Well, I, I think being constrained by the truth actually keeps you in your lane and keeps you from crashing and burning, as we've seen a lot of these liberals doing recently, because they, their, their rhetoric doesn't hold okay. up to the results the president is bringing. Now, you mentioned right. a White House bulletin from early 2017 talking about over the next 10 years, 3% growth instead of 2% will yield a nominal gross domestic product that is $16 trillion with a T larger, federal government revenues 2.9 trillion greater, yes. and wages and salaries of American workers 7 trillion with a T higher. That's outstanding. Why is that not the lead on every single newspaper in this country?
2: Yeah, we've already, I did, I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal about this the other day, and it's we talked about in our book, Trumponomics, that, you know, uh, already, just because the increase of growth, just since we passed the tax cut, the Congressional Budget Office now estimates over the next 10 years the U.S. economy to cumulatively, cumulatively over the next 10 years will be $6 trillion larger. Well, that's true, and, and there's every indication the economy will continue to grow. then that means our, uh, we're going to have um, over $1 trillion of additional federal revenues because when the economy grows, federal revenues grow. and that, So that means we've already paid for two-thirds of the tax cut in just uh, a little over nine months.
4: <laughs> nine months. I'm laughing because that's amazing isn't it? It's amazing it's amazing Um, okay we're closing out the interview now and it's been such a pleasure to speak with you I I would like to extend just for our family over here at Shea Washington our thanks and gratitude for the hard work that it took I know it was a lot of extra hours behind the scenes to come up with a bill that could be paid for in such a short time that would still yield economic (laughs) growth I think people will enjoy reading it I
2: don't want to read it but, but it's not an economics book. It's really a storybook about how Trump did it. How did he pull off this economic miracle? It's all first person. We tell a lot of fun stories about Donald Trump. He, he's, full of, uh, he's full of life and he's a fun person to be around. And, uh, you know, I just tell the story, you know what he eats uh, for lunch and dinner on the plane? McDonald's, Big Macs and, uh, for lunch and, uh, and Domino's pizza for dinner. <laughs> he's a man <laughs> of the people. Uh, but you know, he's just. It, I think people really enjoy it and it's uh, Trumponomics, and, and I, I want to send you an autograph copy. So send me your information so I can get that. I, you
4: know what? I will. I would love to have an autograph copy, and I, again, thanks from our well, family. We we, from
2: our Laffer, we still see too. <laughs>
4: oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, we we're so excited about going to see our CPA next year to do our taxes for this year because we know we're going to be saving money, and our kids exactly. are excited about well, thank it. Thank you it's so wonderful. much for having
2: me. It's been a pleasure and appreciate
4: all you do. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen Moore, author of Trumponomics um, with Art Laffer. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. All right. So we are slamming and jamming through hour one of the show. You stay right there. We're going to have your calls when we get back. It's 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. <laughs> What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment.
1: I used to get questions from people all the time about how I could justify working in the football world and being a Christian. It's such a violent game. What about all that bad language? How can you justify playing games on Sunday? Without a doubt, spending time in a locker room or on a football field definitely has its moments of being in the world. But I've also come to realize that God can only use us in the world if in fact we are in the world. The tension that may arise there requires godly wisdom and the Holy Spirit's leading. Stay close to God and let His wisdom and leading guide you.
4: New York Times bestselling author Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at coachdungee.com. That's coachdungee.com.
0: I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, the sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for his service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com.
4: Hey,
3: want to go shopping later? Yeah, sure. Where do you want to go? Oh, we can go to JCPenney, Spelk, Target. Whoa, wait. I was with you until you said Target. What's wrong with Target? What's wrong with Target? You mean besides the fact that they have an open-door policy that lets men into women's restrooms, that target? Wait, what? Exactly. As a matter of fact, before we go, grab your laptop, go to afa.net, and sign the pledge to boycott target. Okay, I'm on it.
1: Donald Trump's America. A day after the midterm elections in which Democrats won enough seats to control the House in January, President Trump said he will not cooperate with Democrats if they use its subpoena power to launch investigations into his administration. No. If they do that, then it's just all it is is... Uh, a warlike posture but the president also repeatedly praised democratic leader nancy pelosi who could become the next house speaker saying his chances of striking agreements on legislation were greater with a divided government particularly in rebuilding the nation's infrastructure and lowering the cost of prescription drugs but if you look at it from the standpoint of gridlock I really believe there's going to be much less gridlock because of the way this is going. The president said both he and Pelosi, who he attacked on the campaign trail, could find common ground in the new Congress on rebuilding the nation's infrastructure and lowering the cost of prescription drugs. At the White House, John Decker, Fox News.
0: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: A couple of points. Number one, uh, we all heard about the blue wave. I, I think it's pretty clear that the blue wave was a blue dribble. Uh, we pretty much fought to a draw. Number two, I think President Trump and uh, the Kavanaugh hearings had a huge impact on the election, at least on the Republican side. Number three, we need to do something about the cost of health insurance. We, we among ourselves as Republicans tried, we got no Democratic support. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope now the Democrats will come aboard and let's figure something out because uh, this is not meant to impugn anybody, but Obamacare didn't work. I wish it had worked. It didn't work. we got to try something new. Third, Number four, for- uh, mm-hmm, I love Willie Nelson and Taylor Swift. I have their music on my phone, but uh, they must have been smoking some of Willie's dope when they decided to get involved in politics. Uh, I, think, um, I I think Hollywood needs to stay out. Politics. I think the American people are smart enough to figure it out for themselves. Uh, and would, number five, uh, I hope that uh, our Democratic friends in the House will work with us I mean, and not just use their majority to uh, to harass the administration.
4: Ah, uh, so um, everyone's talking about this. Mitch McConnell was doing a press conference, and he was actually he's he's so funny, Mitch McConnell. Um. In fact, I do think we have a little bit of audio. Yeah, let's, let's listen to that. So he says he he's warning the House Democrats about presidential harassment. And what I found so fascinating about this comment is that the reporter infers that, you know, he's giving advice to them. And he's like, no, they don't want advice for me. But he goes back to the historical, you know, the the archives, if you will. And he says, hey, you know what? Remember when we Republicans were really interested in investigating a president? And we spent a lot of time doing that back when Bill Clinton was in charge. And look how the voters punished us after that. Check him out. It's a quick hit here. Uh, it's number three.
3: Senate Republicans do in the event that the House Democrats try to obtain President Trump's tax records. Well, you know, the, the whole issue of presidential harassment is interesting. I remember when we tried it in the late 90s. Uh, we impeached President Clinton, his numbers went up and ours went down, and we underperformed in the next election. So the Democrats in the House will have to decide just how much presidential harassment they think is good strategy. I'm not so sure it'll work for them. Senator
1: McCullough. Senator McCullough. Yeah. So uh, just to, to go back to that, do you, do you, are you recommending that for House Democrats that, that oh, the oversight that they have
4: said that they're going to do might
3: backfire on them? Or are you saying that they- no, no, I'm, I, they're not interested in my recommendations? All I'm doing is making a historical observation that the business of presidential harassment, which we were deeply engaged in in the late 90s, improved the president's approval rating and tanked ours. Thus, my observation that that might not be a smart strategy, but it's up to them you know, to decide how they want to handle that.
4: So... He's right, and so either way, this benefits the president. and Let, and let me just do some, you know, a little slapdash analysis here. It's my show. I'll, you know, I'll say what I want, uh, not paid to say anything. I'll say what exactly what I think, which is we. The, the president's already telegraphing that when they were deciding what they were going to do about the midterm elections, where they were going to put their muscle, which the muscle was. President Trump arriving on Air Force One within full view of a, 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 a aircraft hangar with fifteen thousand supporters in it, a media stand packed to the gills with every media outlet and live streams all over the, the globe going fast and hard with the cameras pointed in his direction. And every single stop that was the case, you see Air Force One, he deplanes, he says hi at the rope line, he gets up on the stage and electrifies the crowd, which has been literally we were jumping like we were at a concert for about an hour and a half before he got there. I've I've never been to anything like it before. Remember, I've heard him speak three times, but that rally was like the apex of what is this Trump phenomenon. And so he could have tried to spread that really thin across all of those House districts, but when they looked at where they need to make their mark, and I'm talking about the mark on the federal judiciary that lasts for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, possibly 40 years out, Reshaping the judiciary with constitutional judges, textualists, people who do not believe that the Constitution, which is written on sheepskin, is a living, breathing document. Rather, they believe it was written by the framers to be a timeless edict that could cover all circumstances. That's what we're looking at him. He made the choice to do that. Donald Trump made a concerted choice to choose to work on the Senate races. So that he could get a majority in the Senate that would be immune to the Collins-Murkowski effect. So with or without Collins or Murkowski, he's going to be able to get that agenda done through the Senate, which is all about the judges. It's all about the replacement for the next two that retire. It's all about the replacements for all of these liberal activists who keep trying to smack him down in the executive With these, we enjoin you, you can't end DACA. We enjoin you, you can't implement a travel ban. Every other president's been able to do it, but you can't do it because your name's Donald Trump. He's gonna put a stop to that. And that's gonna be something that outlasts his presidency. It's gonna outlast the Democrats. It's gonna outlast Pelosi. It's going to be there as a legacy that he can leave for this country. And it is far more consequential than the House. And remember, controlling the House for eight years, have we defunded Planned Parenthood? I mean, what have we done exactly as the Republicans holding the House for eight years? They don't deserve to hold it anymore. And, and I'm someone who I voted for my Republican candidates, and I hated to see some of the ones that lost. I hated it. I hated it. But if you don't deliver, that's what happens. Voters will get rid of you if you don't do what you promised to do on the campaign trail. So let's go to the phones. We have Bill in Alabama. Bill, thank you for calling the show today. Hey,
3: Stacy. Hey. Uh, what I'm calling about is Aren't there rich people on the, on
2: the, uh, on the left that <laughs> yeah. don't want the money to be spent as far as taxes are
4: concerned? There are. There are rich people. In fact, they have quite a few. I mean, you're, all of the people who are the, the heavy players, you know, Nancy Pelosi is very wealthy. Um, I, I think she's probably wealthier than Mitt Romney. And people always talk about the Romney wealth, but they never talk about the Pelosi's. Uh, also, Claire McCaskill is really wealthy. Um, that, that one who lives in uh, Connecticut... Uh, uh, pocahontas she's really wealthy she lives in a multi multi multi-million dollar home in connecticut um so it's you're right they have money on their side too but power is even more delicious than money we know it's true power is ultimately how you can control other people's money and enrich yourself and so you don't care about the tax code when you have all of the power and that's that's the difference between the republicans who Honestly, it it's almost as if we're a little too simple, right, Bill? We we just want to, you know, lower taxes and get government out of the way and then you take care of making your own money. And the Democrats want to control you and your money and your guns and your your bedroom and everything else. They want to control it. And that power is what drives what they do.
0: Thank
2: you.
4: <laughs> Thanks for calling in. Yeah, so I he's making a good point. And I would never say that there are no rich people on the uh the, the Democrat side. But I will say, and, and this was something that I wanted to men- mention to uh, Stephen Moore, but you know, it's, it's so fascinating to listen to an expert like him, someone who's written all these books and who really knows tax policy to discuss the Trump phenomenon. And uh, I'm so glad he wrote the book. And I'm so glad I'm going to have a copy. And I will try to get two copies so that maybe we can give one away. I, I don't know. But um, I'll try to get more than one copy signed by Art Laffer um, and Stephen Moore next week when I'm there. But I'm what I noticed about the panel that I was on the other night, what the Democrats who were on that panel were talking about what they want, they talked about the extreme cost of um, you know health insurance they talked about the, and, and this is under Obamacare. They talked about the extreme cost of the prescription medications, which we actually know that we have a member of our family has a chronic illness, and the medications are extremely expensive, even with our Cadillac plan and the benefits that we have through my husband's work. it is expensive but I think the reason we have a better outlook about it is because we've weathered these kinds of economic storms before and because we're a household with, you know, my husband is the breadwinner and I'm the little, you know, I'm the little supplemental uh, helpmate. And so together we're able to strategize these things and we're able to shop things around. And then of course we pray over it and, you know, we ask the Lord to bless what we're doing and that's after years, we've been married for over 20 years of learning that, Having a negative and pessimistic outlook about anything, but specifically your finances, means you're literally, your negative pessimistic outlook is literally turning your economic ship in a direction that is going down. The minute you start to think about your finances in a a positive way, I can manage this, I can change this, we can overcome this, we can get around this corner, we can pay this bill off, that is when your circumstances begin to change. If you're negative about your workplace, you're going to have fewer opportunities there. You're not going to excel. If you're positive about it, even in the face of what looks like, you know, kind of negative circumstances, your, your future doesn't have to be right there in that space. Do we not serve a God who is absolutely intimately interested in everything, including the number of hairs on our head? He will work things out for your good. He is working things out for your good. But if you are sitting around talking about how, well, I can't do this and I can't do that then you can't, end of story. You don't even, don't, don't continue to complain. Don't even bother to waste your breath. You just said you can't do it, so don't. You're not doing anything because you just said you can't. And so I'm not talking about prosperity gospel or speak it into existence. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the very simple act of orienting ourselves mentally towards success. It doesn't mean that you will always be successful or that you will never fail, but it does mean that your attitude will enable you to pick yourself back up Learn from the failure and keep pushing. And economically, especially when we talk about the leadership in this country, we talk about having a president who constantly, President Obama constantly down talked the economic prospects of this country. He constantly talked about how hard it was to create jobs, like that was the government's job, how hard it was to manage the, 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 I mean, just anything. Just go back and watch the clips for yourself. Well, Ah, you know Hillary Clinton's out there talking with her her faux black voice. I don't feel in no ways tired, and she's falling down and getting thrown into the back of her van. And you got Donald Trump running around saying, "Yeah, we've made some horrible deals, but I'm going to fix those deals. Uh, we've done some horrible things economically. We've made some horrible decisions around the world, but if I'm elected, I'm going to change that." And then what does the media do? They say he can't do it. They say he can't win. He gets in. He changes it. He does it. He fixes it. And then they start complaining. Remember we covered it here on the show. There were numerous people in media and in Hollywood who were wishing for an economic downturn and for the GDP not to grow because they felt like it would help Donald Trump's economic prospects. Any person who would rather see America fail just so they can maintain political power, that's not even an American. Forget about you even being over here in the club with us nationalists who just we just like America. You ain't even a good American. You deserve to go be banished to Venezuela or Guatemala or something like that for 90 days. And then when you come back and you've lost 25 pounds, then you can talk to us about how you don't want us to succeed. American success actually benefits all other countries on the planet. Because remember, we give away multiple trillions of dollars in U.S. aid to other countries. We're the most generous country on the face of the planet. And that is why when Donald Trump is out and the media cameras aren't rolling, all those countries that receive all that aid from us, all of our European partners, yeah, they're backslapping with Donald Trump. They're they're laughing and yucking it up and taking selfies because they know when America prospers, they prosper too. More trade, more opportunities for them to put their products in American hands and, and, and in our little Amazon shopping carts, more opportunities for them to do deals with our companies and to bring our technological advances to them and for them to bring their products to us and for us to have even more interaction economically. So this is a super important thing for us to get our heads wrapped around. It's, it's like you're saying when you're voting and you're voting for this kind of stuff, if you're voting for the Democrats, it's like you're saying, I want to vote with the losers or I'm sorry, a lot of the Democrats are winners. Let's not play. These people are rich. They're powerful. They're influential. But their constituency, it's like you're saying, I want to be with a bunch of people who think I'm a loser. I want to vote for a group of people who think I'm too dumb, lazy, and inept to take care of myself or to make a better future in the best place on the planet to even think about being. Why do you think so many people want to immigrate here, lawfully and unlawfully? Because the unlawful immigrants understand, well, you know, I might not ever be able to be legal there, but as long as I'm living there and I'm making $5 an hour instead of $5 a day, I can send What is the equivalent of a day's wages back to my family and still have all those other dollars left over for me to take care of myself? And then if they really have their head screwed on straight, they know they can get some welfare, drop a baby in America. Now you got uh, a food card, you have uh, housing assistance, your child is a citizen. Now you have a pathway to citizenship through your child. It's it's a deal that can't be beat. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of uh, really it takes a minute to think it through. But if you sit there for one second and you say, you know what, forget all of this political discussion because politics is life, but set that aside for just one second and just think about the prospects for my house, my family, what I want to do. And if you're reading your Bible and you believe that God's word is true, that you believe what God's word says about you, he never says anything bad about us, then you know what you're doing with your vote is a reflection of how you're living your life. And if you're voting for the people who think you're a loser and only the government can save you, then what are you doing reading the Bible? You believe in that magic old white guy who's controlling your life and the lives of everybody, at least all the black people anyway. He's controlling everybody. Now, certainly, you know that I'm being facetious when I say that, but that is what I've, I've heard it too many times. People have called this show and said, well, you're just discounting what white people are doing because your Republicans pay you to say that stuff. No, I'm, I'm discounting this magic old white guy in the sky who controls all the bra- the prospects of black people and keeps black people down because that is just ridiculous. That's why. And also because there is no one greater than the God that I serve. My provider, the lifter of my head, my shelter, my sanctuary, my refuge, my everything is in all, is all, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, transcends time. The God that we serve is greater than all of that other stuff. Pick one, you only get one. That's our one. If you're leaving us, God bless from the heartland. You have onenewsnow.com news and information up next.